0: Church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon.
1: So, Nehemiah chapter 2, let's look into the Word of God tonight. And uh, speaking of things that need to be repaired, I don't know about you, but at my house, I have about a hundred projects that. are eventually going to get done, <laughs> but uh, maybe you can relate that there are things in your life that need repair, that need a fix, that need restoration. Maybe your vehicle has a nagging repair that you've been meaning to do. Maybe it's a a, a leaky faucet. Maybe it's a a lawnmower that you got to make sure to make sure to get it running before the grass starts growing again. Uh, but in the grand scheme of things, those mechanical repairs that nag us are the very least of our problems. The more serious things that we face in life are relationships, our uh, addictions, things that have been broken in our past, deep wounds and scars, marriage and family relationships, perhaps a work, a uh, job, a relationship at work. Uh, when we look around at our nation, we also see that there is a desperate need for restoration, right? A deep divide in our culture that seems to only get worse and not better. Our nation needs repair. Our city needs repair. Uh, and what is painfully obvious tonight is that uh, political parties aren't going to fix that. Uh, no president or senate or or Congress is going to, or even a, a stimulus check, that's not going to bring us back together. And uh, so th- thinking about those things, I also was, as I mentioned, inspired by the Super Bowl win of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But I think most impressive of all, the lesson to take away, as I mentioned to uh, the men on our little group chat, was the power of a single individual to turn around an entire franchise. It truly is remarkable, and as I began to read a few articles about how a quarterback, Tom Brady, had an, a powerful impact on the team around him, I was truly impressed. Listen to this uh, article written on sportsillustrated.com. It says that on top of his impressive production on the field, Brady instilled a championship mindset on a team that according to Bruce Arians, weren't big believers in themselves only a year ago. Here's the quote from the coach. This was a very talented football team last year, but we really didn't know how to win. And when you bring a winner in and he's running the ship, it makes a total difference in your locker room. Every time we step out on the field, we came from behind, I think, two times by 17 points down. And I think the leadership that Tom Brady brings and his attitude that, hey, let's go play. It's never over until it's over. And we're going to win this thing somehow, some way. That attitude permeated throughout our whole locker room. His belief that we're going to do this, knowing that he'd been there and done it, our guys believed it. And it changed the entire football team. The week leading up to the big game, Tom Brady, uh, he was only there for one season, right? One season. And turned the ship around. The Buccaneers, they were a seven-nine team, turned them into Super Bowl champions. And listen to what they said. The night before the Super Bowl t- took place, when there was a lot of question marks still up in the air, does he still have what it takes, there was uh, one of the players on the team, Leonard Fournette revealed that the night before the big game, Brady was sending out text messages to all of his teammates. Do you know what the text message read? It said, we're going to win. We're going to win. And with that mentality, hearing that from a a man who knows what it means to win, that is what I believe propelled them to perform the way that they did and make it such a boring Super Bowl. It's to me, inspired the idea that one man and his confidence and his leadership can inspire a whole team to a championship mentality. Now, we know Don Brady, imperfect, has had scandals over the years, and we know. But at this point, who else can you compare him to? His great strength, just like Jordan back in the day, was not just his incredible talent, but it was, I believe, his ability to make everyone else around him better than they are, and believe that they can do something that they couldn't believe before. That is exactly what we find in our scripture tonight. The story of Nehemiah is the story of a leader who inspires a nation to be restored. And my prayer tonight is that there would be men in this place, especially men, but not only men. Every one of us is a leader in some capacity. And I want to remind you tonight of the power of good and godly leadership. Your influence has incredible value for the kingdom if you will use it wisely. Let's read this scripture together, Nehemiah. Chapter 2, starting with verse 1. It came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, wine was before him, that I took the wine, this is Nehemiah speaking, I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad, since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. And said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste, its gates burned with fire? So the king said to me, What do you request? I prayed to the God of heaven. And here is the crux of the matter tonight. Verse 5 I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. This is a message I've titled, Leaders Restore. Let's pray, ask God's blessing tonight. Father, we thank you for the opportunity, once again, to gather in your house. Raise up in this place men of leadership, men of character, men of truth. Lord, a church that would lead our city and our communities. Lord, Families in homes that would practice the leadership to bring restoration in our time and in our hour. We thank you for the opportunity that we have before us. Lord, let us not squander it. We thank you for all that you're doing in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, Amen. Leaders, restore. So first let's look at this uh, idea tonight that restoration, spiritual restoration, which is what we're interested in tonight, it is going to require godly leadership. The reason that that is important tonight is we, it is easy for us to complain about everything that's broken, right? Is anybody here tonight? Is anybody awake? It's easy for us to complain. We can look at Washington and we can complain about those bozos. We can look at our state and local government and complain about them too. It's easy to, uh, to criticize people in our neighborhood and the crimes that are happening. You watch the news, and it's easy to say, what's wrong with this place that we're living in, right? But I want to tell you tonight that if we want to see restoration, and I will tell you, restoration is possible. It hasn't always been like this. Restoration certainly is possible, But if we are going to see God restore our city, our nation, our culture, if we're going to see God move in revival in these last days, it's not just going to descend upon us magically with a twinkle of pixie dust. Revival doesn't come to random places at random times. Revival comes when there is godly leadership in place. Revival comes when somebody asks for it, when somebody leads the way. This is what is so powerful about the story of Nehemiah. If you're familiar with uh, what has happened is Nehemiah is serving uh, as a cupbearer to the king of uh, this ancient nation. It was a position of prominence and power, and the news got to him that the city of his birth, The city, the capital of his nation, Jerusalem. Nehemiah is a Jewish man serving uh, in a foreign country. But the news arrives that that Jerusalem has been destroyed, it lays in ruin. It is a place where uh, the the place that Nehemiah knew and loved, his hometown, his home country, and yet it had been attacked, it had been destroyed, the walls had been broken down. The city was in ruin, and this broke the heart of Nehemiah. It broke his heart. Even though he had a cushy job, he had a place of influence, but what he saw at that moment is what we are seeing in our world, in our culture, perhaps even in your home, in your marriage, in your family. He saw a need for restoration the first thing that is key to restoration is to have a healthy memory. In other words, if Nehemiah had no memory of Jerusalem as it was, how would he know that it needed to be restored? How could Nehemiah do this great task unless he could remember what Jerusalem was at one point? This is the problem with uh, so much of our culture is that uh, we don't know our history We don't know what has happened before. This is why it's critical for us to tell the stories of our fellowship, to tell the story of Pastor Mitchell, Pastor Warner, Pastor Campbell, how this church came to Virginia Beach. We have to know those stories. We have to remember them because without them, we will not seek the restoration that is so possible for us. Something interesting that comes out of the Hebrew language the, the, the Hebrew word for memory or remembering is the word zakar. In Genesis 8, verse 1, it says, Then God remembered Noah. This is the word that is used. God, zakar, Noah, and every living thing, and all the animals that were with him in the ark. Aren't you glad God remembered Noah? He didn't forget about him, right? That interesting word, zakar, has another meaning in the Hebrew language. You know what it means? It means man. The, in the Hebrew, there is a link between memory and men. Genesis 127, God created Zachar, man, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him Zacher, Male and female, he created them. What does that tell us then? In the Lord's language, as my rabbi would, would like to say, that there is a link between the idea of memory and men of leadership one of the marks that our culture is in trouble is the decline of male leadership the decline and and many men are happy just to uh, uh, to let the world run over them dominant male leadership is a critical part of any meaningful restoration this is why it's so critical that in our fellowship that we, uh, we encourage men to rise up. Men, we want men to lead in our prayer meetings. We want men to lead our Bible study. This is not to diminish the role of women. This is not to diminish uh, uh, mothers and sisters in the church. Far from it. But what we recognize so clearly tonight is that God is looking for men of leadership in a culture where men have been sissified and emasculated, and where it's even encouraged today for men to become women, and everybody celebrates when when dudes feeling pretty, and now even in the government we have uh, we have a transvestite leading one of the the, the, the branches of our government. Can you imagine this? And everybody just goes along with it. And there's a dude looking like uh, with a female hairstyle, and everybody thinks this is normal. This is the result. Not this is this is not because of some outside attack. I believe this is because the failure of men to rise up in leadership in the past few generations this is what is so amazing about nehemiah he takes responsibility and he takes a chance to see restoration in his city let's look at the leader's risk because it was truly a risk for nehemiah to to approach the king in this way said that in verse one that he had never been sad In the presence of the king before. Therefore the king said, why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of the heart. So I became dreadfully afraid. Don't be mistaken tonight. For Nehemiah to approach King Artaxerxes in this way was something very dangerous. To approach him with a a sad disposition... This was punishable by death. How many understand the king has enough problems on his own? The king is dealing with a thousand other things, and here comes droopy old uh, Nehemiah into his presence. I don't, have pro- I don't have time to deal with your personal problems, Nehemiah. He could have been, uh, uh, this, this was a risky thing for him, to allow his, uh, his care and concern for his home city begin bleeding out onto his face so that it affected his demeanor on the job. And yet, uh, this is why he's so afraid. And even though he's afraid, it's amazing to me that Nehemiah makes a bold request. Despite his fear, he musters his courage to make a bold request. Listen to me tonight. This is what faith does. This is faith in action. Faith tonight is not just some mental acknowledgement that, yes, I believe somewhere up in heaven there's a power, there's a force greater than myself. A lot of people do that, including the devil. The devil believes that there is a God. That's not faith. What faith really looks like tonight is overcoming your fear to make bold requests of God. And this is where many men fall short. God is only as big as your prayer's. For some of you, your God, the God that you serve, is a puny God who doesn't do anything because you've not asked Him to do anything. You've not overcome your fear. You are only limited tonight by the size and the scope of your request. When's the last time you stepped out and took a risk to see your city restored, to see your Family, your marriage restored. See, this is the thing uh, that I've been noticing. Uh, as I mentioned, we've been advertising this uh, marriage seminar on our Facebook page. And uh, do you know, do you know of those who have responded saying they want, they're e- either interested or they want to go, uh, I think we've had about 50 people that tap on the little button to say that they're interested. Do you know what percentage of those 50 are women? Compared to men, I wish it was fifty percent. It's ninety-five. Ninety-five percent of those people who are interested in helping their marriage are women. Men are not responding to this, and so you know that you know what that means is that is that uh, a Mrs. is going to drag her Mister in by the by by his ear and say, "You have to come to this with me." That's not right. If we want to see restoration in our marriages, it should begin with male leadership. But see, men are so beaten down in our culture. We feel like we don't have any place to speak. The culture and the media and the movies and everything Hollywood produces tells men that they're worthless and meaningless and they should just shut up. Well, I'm here to tell you that we need men of God. God needs men to rise up and God needs men to approach Him with boldness. Boldness in prayer. Listen, Hebrews 4, verse 16, let us come boldly to the very throne of God and stay there to receive His mercy and to help us find grace in our time of need. John Wesley, famous preacher and founder of the Salvation Army was once crossing the Atlantic Ocean. And as they were traveling, contrary winds came up. He was reading in his cabin when he became aware of confusion on board. And when he learned that the winds were knocking the ship off course, he responded in prayer. Adam Clark, a colleague, heard Wesley's prayer and recorded it for posterity. This is the prayer. Are you listening? He said, Almighty and everlasting God, Thou hast sway everywhere, and all things serve the purpose of Thy will. Thou holdest the winds in Thy fists, and sittest upon the water floods, and reign a king forever. Command these winds and these waves that they obey Thee, and take us speedily and safely to the haven whither we would go. That's a prayer, isn't it? Wesley at that moment stood up from his knees, took up his book, and continued to read. Dr. Clark went up on deck where he found calm winds and the ship back on course. Clark wrote about this account. He said, so fully did he expect to be heard that he took it for granted that he was heard. He didn't even go up to check to see if God had answered his prayer. What about you tonight? Nehemiah was bold enough to enter the presence of the king and make the request, I want to go and help my city. Let's talk finally about the leader's resources. What a miracle. Look at verse 4 of our scripture. The king said to me, what do you request? What do you request? Do you know what that is when a king says that to you? That's like a blank check. Some of you don't know what a check is. But there was this movie that came out in the 90s called Blank Check. I remember a little kid, he somehow got his hands on, uh, Patrick's uh, nodding his head back there, a little kid got his hands on a check that was signed and made out except for the place where it said how much, blank check. And uh, when, when he was able to put in any dollar amount he wanted, guess what, he put in millions and millions of dollars. This is what Nehemiah received from King Artaxerxes. Blank check. What do you request? I've been mentioning in recent sermons that uh, it amazes me how Jesus would approach people and he would ask them a similar question. Say, what do you want from me? What do you want? And even when it's very obvious, when it's a person who's blind and can't see, and Jesus walks up to the blind man and says, what do you want from me? Isn't it amazing? Jesus doesn't take anything for granted. He is testing to see uh, what it is that this person wants. Let me ask you tonight, what do you want from the king? What do you want? What's amazing to me is that as King Artaxerxes uh, asks this question, Nehemiah answers with a plan that was already in motion. He has already thought about this. Look at verse 5. I said to the king... If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. This is an incredible request. This is a request that is going to be very, very expensive. That he's going to not only give up his position as the king's cupbearer, nice cushy job, but he's asking the king, Would you fund me? Would you be my patron sponsor to send me back to Jerusalem? Would you equip me with supplies and workers and tools and animals to carry everything? Would you supply all of that so that I could rebuild my country? Now think about Artaxerxes. This is not his city. This is not his country. What benefit would he have from this? And yet, through the power of the bold request... Nehemiah leads a building party back to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah did something that they thought could not be done. In a a matter of only a very few short weeks, they rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. I would encourage you to uh, do your homework and read the rest of this book. It will take you about 20 minutes. And read the story of how how Nehemiah travels back and he uh, puts in motion the the resources that Artaxerxes per, puts into his hands and he goes and he does what nobody thought was possible with only a skeleton crew and there was attacks that came against them see they didn't want Jerusalem to be rebuilt there was enemies that came against them and so the bible said that they're hanging there as they're rebuilding the wall hanging by a rope and they've got the tools to build the rope uh, to build the wall with one hand and in the other hand each one of those workers has a sword to defend against the enemy attacks. Can you imagine the duress, the difficulty, the pain, the agony of having to do this? And yet, in a matter of only a few weeks, with a very limited crew, they rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and they begin the process of restoration. This is the power. See, I think Nehemiah to us should represent something very similar to what Tom Brady did for the Buccaneers. With only a a very limited amount of time, but an incredible amount of vision and confidence and boldness to say what needed to be said and inspire the people who followed him. That was all it took. I want to encourage you tonight. Listen, every person here You are a leader of something. You are a leader of someone. If you don't lead anybody else, do you know that you are leading yourself? You have influence over yourself. So let me ask you, and I want to target especially men in this place, men that you are the head of your household. You're making decisions, and God is going to hold you accountable for the decisions that you make in your home. Let me ask you. Where are you leading your home and your family? To what end? To what goal? Some men are just meandering through life, bouncing off of events like a pinball, floating down the, like a tennis ball down the gutter of life, never going anywhere. I uh, posted a message today on our sermon podcast. Today is a Wednesday. We post, a, we post a sermon every Wednesday from the founder of our fellowship, Uh, Pastor Wayman Mitchell. We call it Wayman Wednesday. And the title of that message was A Man That Was Going Nowhere. Speaking about Gehazi, servant of Elisha. And and this was uh, one of the points that he made in his message is that some men, they are very busy with a lot of activity but going nowhere. Like you're lost in a maze. Let me ask you, When's the last time you made a bold and confident decision to lead your family in the right direction? See, this is why, this is why when it comes to a marriage seminar, it shouldn't be 90% wives signing up for it. It should be 90% husbands. It shouldn't be that all the women of the church are leading all of the ministries. I'm grateful for faithful women. Some of some of the women in this congregation do more than most of the men. I'm grateful for their, uh, for their tenacity, for their servants' hearts. But where are the men? When I look around in the prayer room, I see women in the prayer room. I don't see as many men. Where are the Nehemiahs? Where are the, the men that are leading their church, their community, their home? Do you know that for a Jewish synagogue to even have a service, that they must have at least 10 men present? If they do not have 10 men present on a Sabbath celebration, they will not have service. They will send everybody home. If there's only nine men present, nine men who've had their bar mitzvah at age 13, they count anybody above 13 as a man. Listen to that, young, young men. And if 10 men are present, then they can perform their service but if there are not 10 men they'll send everybody home you know that's a good rule there's a lot of wisdom in that what that does is it tells men that they are valuable that they are needed that they are necessary let me repeat that for the men here in this place you are needed you are necessary we need your boldness we need your courage we need you to rise up your families need you to lead with courage, with boldness, with integrity, to believe God for great things like Nehemiah, to take the resources that God gives and use them for the kingdom. We look at the state of our city, our nation, our world, and we think, how could it possibly get better? Well, I want to tell you, if Nehemiah can rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, then men of God can rebuild our culture, our city for the kingdom of God. We can make a difference, men. We can make a difference as we lead our homes, our family, our city, our nation, and our church. This is what leaders must do. Let's bow our heads tonight and close our eyes as we bring this service to a close. Truly, I am grateful for your attendance and your attention here tonight before we do anything else, before we close this service in prayer, before we allow God to challenge us here at the altar, I wonder if there's someone here being honest with the Lord, being honest before God. You're not right. You're living in sin. There is disobedience and rebellion at work in your life. No matter who you are, where you are, what you've done, I have wonderful news for you. There is a God in heaven who loves you who wants to save you, who wants to express the incredible love that was poured out from the cross of Christ. This is what Jesus did for us. He died on a sinner's cross. He shed His blood. And the reason He did was so that sinners could be saved. This is the power of the Gospel here tonight. And if you're here, you need that power of forgiveness. I want to pray with you. You're here you're unsaved or perhaps you're backslidden tonight you're away from God there is hope for you there's hope for me for all those who would cry out to him with an honest heart and if that's you here tonight I want to pray with you very quickly you'd slip up your hand so I can see it I see that hand someone else quickly tonight as God deals with you God speaks to you I see their children lifting their hands tonight is there anyone else honest who would respond to this call unsaved or backslidden. You need the power of redemption and healing and forgiveness before you leave this place. At this altar, there is redemption. There is healing. There is forgiveness. Is there anyone else? Quickly, you want to respond right now. Right now. God's speaking. God's moving. His Spirit convicting you. Is there anyone else? Right now. Amen. We're going to pray right here at this altar. You lifted up your hand. I'd like you to do one more thing. Would you come forward? God's going to help you. God's going to speak to you I'd like a man to come and pray with this young man. Lead him to salvation. Let's pray. Let's believe God together. God's going to help you. Amen. Tonight, I want to open up this altar for the rest of the congregation tonight. And I want to encourage you. Listen. Every one of us, we have some leadership capacity. Every one of us is leading somebody, if only we are leading ourselves. I want to pray for men here tonight. I want to especially pray for men who are leading their households. Because you're going to need God's wisdom and strength. But I want to pray for everyone tonight that you have influence. Every one of us has some sphere of influence. You have people in your life that listen to you, that that are influenced by your example and by your leadership. How are you using that leadership tonight? I want to open up this altar for prayer. We have to be people like Jeremiah who have a heart for restoration, to see the kingdom of God restored once again. Let's stand to our feet tonight. We're going to open up this altar for prayer. Let's allow God to deal with us and speak to us tonight. Let's believe God in this place for all that He's going to do. In Jesus' mighty name. Let's cry out to God right here at this altar while we sing the song of worship.
0: Until next time, love God and love people.